This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Equity Mates, episode number 12. Thanks for joining us, guys. Um, I'm Bryce, and as always, I'm here with my Equity Mates buddy, Ren. How are you, mate? I'm good, Equity Mate. <laughs> That's good to hear. Uh, it's been another fun week for us both, and we're excited to bring you an expert investor this week. Yeah, so Michael Glennon is the founder of Glennon Capital, and he specializes in investing in small cap companies. As the name suggests, small cap companies are companies with a smaller market capitalization. So, you know, you're not investing in your Combanks or your Telstras. You're investing in companies that are a little bit smaller um, and potentially have a little bit more room to grow. Mm. So, Michael has over 17 years experience in uh, financial markets and over 15 years experience as a portfolio manager and a director of several boutique investment management firms. As one of Australia's most experienced small cap fund managers... Michael was one of the first managers of a boutique listed investment company running the listed investment company Pacific Strategic Investments, which is now part of Brickworks Investment Company, an $800 million investment company. While at Adam Smith Asset Management as a specialist small companies manager, he was awarded the IMCA Money Management Fund Manager of the Year for small cap Australian equities. Michael regularly appears on ABC Radio, CNBC and the Australian Financial Review and contributes regular updates on stocks, sectors and other topics of interest. We're really excited to bring in this interview. We got a lot out of it and we're sure you will too. All right, we're here with Michael Glennon from Glennon Capital. Thanks for being with us today, Michael. We'll get straight into it. So what uh, got you interested in investing? I think I had a pretty inquisitive mind when I was young, so I was always looking at uh, different businesses and investments, and um, and my parents worked for themselves, and they bought their business off my grandfather, so I'd always thought about you know working for myself and, and different things like that. So when I first started out, when I was at uni, I went to uni part-time, and I worked at ANZ looking at small businesses, and that's where I started to get that interest in um, investing in businesses, and I think... You know, I just had that wanting to get involved and see what drove businesses. So, did you study uh, any sort of finance-related degrees? Yeah, look, I did an economics degree. I liked it. Uh, I found that you know, looking at the you know supply and demand and what affects businesses and if everyone's making it, it's a really good foundation because it, fundamentally these key things that we look at in investment. So, if you're looking at that basic economics. Um, and in that degree, you know, you do a bit of accounting and a bit of law and things like that. So they're all good things to have, you know, to form that foundation for how you think about businesses. And it's true that simple supply and demand 
I think about business. It's a business that you're buying, and it's no different to us going and setting up a business. And you know, we go and set up a coffee shop, and you really just think break it down into very basic things. So, well, how much did we sell? How much did we sell it for? What are our costs? And how much comes out the bottom? And so, all this fancy stuff that goes on in, um, you know, with capitalising stuff. That's really at the end of the day. If, you, if we look like we've got a profitable business because we're capitalising everything, you don't think about it that way when you actually own the business. It's how much cash we've got in the bank. It's about cash. Can we make more? Or you know, someone's sitting up across the road and they're charging less. How much less cash are we going to have? And I, I just think about businesses from a very, very simple perspective. If I own the business, how much cash am I going to get in the business? What's one of the hardest things that you found about starting to invest? Well, <laughs> when you're young, it's capital. Yeah. You know how you get capital. So I didn't know what I was doing when I first started. So I, I a good friend from school had sort of talked his way into a stockbroking firm, and they were doing an IPO. And um, I remember it actually. It was it was um, a coal seam methane company. I did a, I didn't even understand what that was. So I did a huge, huge amount of research on it, find, just finding out what it was. Um, so I understood what I'd bought because I didn't actually want to ask him what, I, what it was I was buying. <laughs> but I had no money and he was, you know, um, and this guy's been very successful, he's retired now. But he said to me, Mike, don't worry, just go to the bank, get a credit card, get a cash advance off the credit card, you know, and, and there's your three grand to get into your IPO. And so that's, I didn't do that, but... Um, the, the thought of that sounded horrible to me, but that you know, I put a small amount of capital in. I put about three or four thousand dollars into that one thing. We made money on it. I wasn't sure why. You know, I think I paid twenty cents and sold it for twenty-five cents. It was good. Interesting. It was a good experience. It's something we try and talk to our listeners about: is um, putting away small amounts of cash, sort of each pay, so you can get that initial amount of capital to yep. begin with. Because yeah, I mean, not everyone has four or five thousand dollars just ready to go to invest and it's definitely something that is um, a hurdle for a lot of people wanting to start but don't necessarily have the ability to do so. I think that's key. If you can get a, you know, if you get your pay going into your bank account and then you can put a portion of that, it's so it's so easy now because mm. like, when I started you didn't have Comsec or each yeah. You had to call a broker, you had to transfer cash which meant going down to the branch and, and, and doing it. So. Now you can go and do it and you can buy it. Brokerage costs are so low, save enough where it's not going to impact and just keep adding it. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, it's, it's a good piece of advice. So where's your investing journey taking you and what have it been some notable highlights? Well, I'm here at Glennon Capital and I've got my name on the door, which is good. <laughs> so that's the journey, that's nice. but it's a great, you know, this is a great business and investing is good. And it, I mean, if you're working for you, if you're doing your own personal investments, you're working for yourself anyway, so your sort of name's on the door, you can print up some things to get it home. But, you know, the advantage we've got as professionals as you get to go and you talk to people. So the journey along the way has been really good and I've worked with some amazing people. So I was lucky enough to, when I was young, um, my first exposure to funds management, I think I was 22 or 23, I left ANZ where I, um, when I finished my degree. And when worked at Mercantile Mutual, and that has produced some of the most amazing small cap managers um, in Australia. You know, how long have you been running Glennon for? 
this business we set up in 2009, we got licensed in maybe 2010, um, and that's sort of when we kicked that off. Yeah. And so just for our listeners, you're a specialist in small cap investing. Yep. Um, can you explain what a small cap is and how you became to specialise in that? You know, there's two and a, there's there's two thousand two hundred, two thousand three hundred companies listed in Australia. That, you know, mixed in amongst that, there's listed funds and different things like that. Um, so that what small caps are is, is the smallest. So the, the very smallest stock up until our definition of it is anything that's not in the top one hundred. So we don't invest in um, you know BHP, NAB, CBA, any of the top one hundred. I don't know what's going on there. And I, I do find them a little bit boring. You know, I think the really sexy end of the market's the small end. They're easier to understand. You know, a NAB is like 10 or 20 of my companies. So everything outside the top 100 by definition is a small cap. The small odds oh, right. is, is stocks ranked from 101 to 300. So the, the top 100 is top 100. Then the next 200 is what the constituents of the, um, the small odds. Um, by definition, but that then also leaves uh, a lot of stocks that are outside of the index for us to, to choose from to invest. So mathematically, it, it makes it a little bit, it should make it a little bit easier to perform because you, your choice set, if you're a top 100 manager, is those 100 stocks. If you're a small cap manager, you've actually got, you know, say those 2,000 stocks listed, you take off that 100, you've got 1,900, and you're only getting measured against you know, the index stocks in the next 200, so you've got a big set of which you can pick, so it should make it easier to find 30, 40, however many stocks you're owning wow. that are attractive. So you're saying theoretically, well, you're saying that the ASX 200 is actually made up of 50% small cap? Half of the 200 will be small caps. We don't really invest, we're more um, skewed towards the smaller end, like the under 300 mil is really where we play, because I, I think you can get business, is, it's a lot easier to get a business that goes from making a million dollars profit to two million dollars than to get a company that's making fifty million to go to a hundred mm. uh, in terms of profit. Mm. Well, going off that, then, um, what what is your investing philosophy or, or style? It's common sense. I always view it as I can only have one investment, so any one of the stocks in a um, in a portfolio. So I think of them number one, they're businesses. We're buying a business. It's not you're not trading shares or whatever. You're buying a business. So that leans us towards thinking well, investments need to be longer term because it takes you know more than three to six months for um, you know those the decisions that managers are making to come out in share prices and affect the, the profit. So you know we're buying a business. The business we want at some point in time, if that was our only investment, to be able to generate income from that investment, preferably dividends. However, with small caps, a lot of them are using all that capital to grow. In which case, that's fine. Um, because we're seeing the value of our asset increase all the time. And, and we're there as a partner to provide them with capital. That, that's our role if we understand the business. And that's a good situation. So as I said before, if we went and opened up a coffee shop downstairs and it's growing and we want to go buy some seats and we want to put some umbrellas up because it's growing, we're selling more and more coffee every day, we might actually not have any cash profit. And then the growth actually could be a problem that we need someone to bring someone else in to help us get bigger. Um, and so we just, that's... That's our view on, on the small caps. If they're not producing cash flow, we're happy that the business is growing. So if you were to put it in under an umbrella, I mean, we talk of, in the show about value investing or growth or momentum, and you would put yourself in the growth? I can tell you what I don't put myself in. I don't okay. put myself in technical analysis because I don't understand it at all. Yeah. I just think I'm buying a business. Yeah. So, you know, 
we're looking long term what we think can happen with the business and where it can go. So we're just buying businesses where they're listed. We do buy some unlisted businesses here. So there is no sort of liquid market in them. It's about what we value the business at, what the management team is doing. But we do have some growth and we have some value investments. And I've always struggled and we've had a few missed opportunities. So one of the things we've never owned is um, REA Group, the realestate.com business. Yep. Because always to me it looked very expensive and if anything I was probably a little bit cheap not wanting to pay up for it. I've gotten better at doing that by saying, hey, here's a, here's a good business. It's got good people running it. It's got good prospects. However, it, it looks expensive. But if you can say, but hold on, I might be paying 50 times you know, in terms of PE now for this business, but what is it going to be three, four or five years out? Just being a little bit longer term and a little bit more strategic um, about that investment, but we don't want to pay for Blue Sky. We've got to really clearly be able to see what that company's doing, how it's getting there, um, and what's happening in the market. And I couldn't do that with an REA. Some examples that sort of come to mind for me with those, with that is uh, Bellamy's and A2 Milk. Um, I got in at Bellamy's and then didn't get out before it yep. hit the floor. And A2 Milk is what trading at a very high PA at the moment. Exactly, yeah. And, but they upgrade so, their profit again. A couple yeah, of years ago, and so, so Alec, who is the other co-host and myself, sit back and go, should we... Well, Alec is in A2 Milk, but I'm not. And I'm thinking, is it too expensive? And it, it sort of along the lines of what you're saying, am I just being too cheap? Because still four or five you know, years down the track, it might be... Look, that's the challenge. It's and like, if how you, do you know? <laughs> look, that's the challenge with the business. But you know, I'll give you another example of something. Okay. So one page, one page was listed, and it was a um, new paradigm getting a job. And so they were going to use this big Facebook and different social media to sort of be able to bring people in. It was going to save a lot of money for um, uh, you know corp- big corporates using it. You know, who were getting thousands of applications coming in, and they were sort of going to make the whole lot you know, a streamlined sort of process. And so this, the shares went from 20 cent and I think they went up to like $6.80. So you would have made a huge amount of um, money. Mm -hmm. And because it was running up so much, you know, I thought, well, maybe I'm missing something and I'll have a look at it. And so we started to do some research. And firstly, I couldn't understand. I couldn't understand it. So I can't invest in anything I can't understand. And I think that your best, if you don't understand it and you spend a bit of time trying to understand it, just stay away from it. There's 2,000 companies out there I can invest in. Just find some that you understand and that you understand really well. But with one page, what we did is I went back and I, I had a couple of presentations which I downloaded from the stock exchange. And this is stuff that anyone can do and it's a common sense sort of filter. I thought, well, I'm clearly missing something. But when I go back to the accounts, I'm missing even more because the revenue was, it was less than 300000 It might have been $250,000 for a half or a quarter, whatever. It didn't justify the $600 million market cap company and I would never have been able to you know feed myself if that was my only investment and yes it had grown but that's just pure speculation because I, I went through and I actually got on LinkedIn and in the presentation she had four or five companies that they were working with big blue chip companies in the states so I emailed the chief technology officers of all those businesses and we had great little banter on the email and then all of them um, didn't respond when I asked them we had banter about one page what they would be um, prepared to pay for that service and not a single one of them replied to that email which made me think none of them are going to pay anything and they're all using it because it's a free trial and it was obviously free because there was no revenue coming into the business and now that stock's 
suspended, you know, they're kick, kicking her out and it's back at 20 cents at a dollar, you know, we were talking about shorting it, you know, we did. that was one where we got in there and I couldn't understand it, I did some work on it, I should have been able to understand it and I couldn't and as a result now, you felt bad when it was running up and there's this fear of missing out, should I get in? But on the oh, way right. back down. Um, Interesting, well you mentioned in there that one piece of advice is to, uh, for someone starting to invest is definitely invest in something that you know and understand. Is there any other pieces of advice that you would give to someone starting out? I think that it's a common sense, just think about it as you're buying a business and you know, you're, buying, you're really just buying an asset. So it doesn't matter whether you're buying a business or if you're buying a car, you've always got this decision about um, you're buying an asset. So it's not trading shares and as I said, look, I don't understand the technical stuff where these lines all cross each other and they go up. I don't know anything about it because I, I think I'm buying a business and I go out and I see a lot of these companies and I talk to the people running the business and they don't talk about the lines either. So if you're thinking about it, it's, it's, and it's about value. So if you know that you want to buy you know, a five-year-old Commodore and it's worth $20,000, if you can pick that up for $18,000, you're sort of instantaneously made money and you look around and you look online and you say and it's the same with shares if you know that you know I don't think coal companies are great but if you can pick up one on a P of three or four uh, and you don't think there's any sort of downward risk in terms of the coal price you're getting a bargain mm. so look around here through you know ignore all the noise we've made good money just by having common sense you know if a company misses a number you know forecast earnings number by small amount you've seen it just happen this reporting season yeah. and the share price is down 30 or 40 percent that yeah. business is not 30 or 40 percent smaller yeah. because they missed a small target so i think it's just common sense know what you're buying having a bit of conviction because to make really good money our shares you have to own them for the long run you know you have to start and if you start when you're young and you hold them for a very long period of time you can make you know fantastic money mm. i wish i'd never sold a share because I, I've had some amazing things that I've sold too early uh, and I've gotten better at holding them. That's a really good piece of advice and uh, it's something that I'm still learning as well is the value of patience and the value of time when it comes to um, this sort of stuff and compound interest as well. That's the big thing, the compounding. Mm. Reinvest your dividends. Um, it's like free money, the reinvest. You know, It's just so important that compounding and reinvesting and you know, I saw something the other day that, and so this is relevant for young people. If you, you invested something like $5,000 when you were 14, which is a big ask, I guess, but then you only put $1,000 in a year until you're 19 and you reinvest all of your dividends mm-hmm. into the market. You know, you end up, and it's a long period of time, but just from that small investment, $265,000. Wow. Something of that magnitude. You know, it's a big number just from a very small investment and the compounding at a low rate yeah. so um, and then if you add to that all the time and that doesn't include adding to it and then if you add just a little bit of money to that you know thousand bucks a month or whatever it is you know you end up with a very big if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery think again Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime even better this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment no maintenance required improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Portfolio. Well, what has been one of your best investments? And this doesn't have to be a financial investment. It can be anything that you feel has been of benefit towards your investing career. Yeah, look, I, I think the best investment for me, this is um, going back a long period of time, but and I'll, and I'll be really honest about it, was a company called um, REAC, which was formerly Reinsurance Australia Corporation. Uh, it was listed. It, it was a reinsurance company, so it was providing insurers with insurance. And it went into, um, uh, they stopped writing insurance and they wound down the book, the insurance book. And, and to be, this is where one of those things we do talk about doing analysis. And so to be honest i bought it at 28 cents and then i sold it at 26 or something like that and i lost a bit of money there and then i bought it at 24 cents and then i lost a bit of money. but the whole time i kept trying to work out i knew there was a big asset base within the business mm-hmm. and i knew that for each of the insurance claims and insurers don't like to pay out money they try to fight you to and so you know I, I wrote it i lost money like consecutively all the way from you know 20 cents down to um you know, 28 cents down to about 7 cents. And I bought them at 7 and I was at the very bottom of the market and I bought more at 15 and I had, and I way surpassed the small amounts of money. You know, I sort of had a bit, and we still do it here. You know, I sort of had stop losses and so when I got down, I wasn't losing too much capital but I was convinced because the amount of work I've been doing and so my timing wasn't right in terms of when I got in. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably should have waited till it had started to turn a little bit and that was when more people so I think I was probably onto that idea a lot earlier than um, most people because if I'd been late it would have already turned because yeah. people start to work out hey look there's a big pool of money and I ended up um, from seven cents you know making ten times my money on that investment and then that paid for um, you know I was able to go out and have a very nice deposit for a house um, nice. or an apartment as it was back then um, and so that helped mm-hmm. being there and I'd done the work and I was convinced um, and, and then we had a similar sort of situation with, um, and it was nice because I'd had that experience. We had a similar situation with um, Rams and, and that, that business when it went through a similar experience. So there's been a lot of good investments that we've had. Well, not a lot. There's been five or six that we've made amazing money out of that don't come along that often. You, you know, I'm looking every day and I've probably had five that we've made 10 times mm. our money on. Um, but it's there getting getting in and doing the work, keeping an eye on things. Mm-hmm. And that, was, that wasn't that was a growing business. They were asset plays that were right. And that's a real value type situation. Mm. So. It's uh, also another good thing to point out as well that not everything is a win because I know starting out 
some a lot of people often think that this is a, a quick win game. You put money in and you hear all of these crazy stories of people making 10 times, 20 times their money, but they often forget to tell you how many times they've lost their money. So it's comforting to know that your one of your best investments has been one where you bought in and it actually you lost money before you made. So Yeah, I lost money five or six times. But you have to be careful about these people that do have that perception that stock markets is quick money type thing. You know, I know hundreds of people that are in the stock market. I know people that made a lot of money out of it and retired. And but you still hear stupid stuff. I was in going. In, I was in a lift the other day, and there was people talking in front of me. And someone said, "Hey, I've got this stock broker. You know, and he's the type of guy you give him ten grand, he turns into a hundred grand. It doesn't happen." No. So <laughs> it was enjoying to hear the conversation yeah. about these people talking about stuff, but. It doesn't happen. The people I know that are the best investors that have made you know significant amounts of money, it's taken them a long time to do, um, and they don't. And you get that you, you know you talk about compounding. The other thing is not paying tax. Mm-hmm. So if you think about it, if you had um, say you bought Macquarie Bank at you know twenty five dollars you know a few years back, and it's close to hundred dollars now, yeah. and you know you've got to pay tax on on your profit. Mm-hmm. And depending on what your rate is, whether you've got in a company or whatnot, you know, that share price can come back a long way for you to be in the same net position. So, you know, getting that free loan off the government, and that's that's part of the compounding. You know, Warren Buffett doesn't sell, you know, a lot of shares. They've held a lot of those investments for a very long period of time. So that adds to your compounding. If you're doing this short-term trading and every time you make a dollar, you're going to pay, depending on what you're earning, but you're going to pay, you know, up to 50% tax on it, you you're sort of shooting yourself in the foot to get that compounding effect. So you buy them, you hold them. If you want to diversify, don't reinvest the dividend into the same stock, reinvest it into something else. Mm, and there's that. Um, look, I, I like the Warren Buffett stuff. I don't think the market operates the same way as how it did when he was starting out. But, you know, if people want to look at stuff and you read his stuff, it's common sense, a lot of it. It's, it's very simple. Do you, ha- do you have a must-read book that you would recommend to people just starting out? You know, you know look, if, if I had to give a list, I could give you seven or eight books. I think are great books to um, go and read. You know, I think you go and read all the Berkshire Hathaway annual papers because I think it's common sense. I think you, there's a couple of people who've done studies on um, the investments that were Berkshire Hathaway made in the early days. I personally like, for a bit more entertaining value, I like financial markets history or books that have been written about periods of time. So, you know, I've, I've read books on, um, you know, early entrepreneurs, in like the, the big families that did well in, in the US, um, developing the US. Um, Trevor Sykes' books here on, on things. So if we went back and we bought a copy of you know, Money Miners, which was his book, I think, published in 1978, about um, the Poseidon boom. And that was, that was people retired off the Poseidon boom, but it only went for about three months. And it was a very interesting story about um, resources in Australia. But that really puts it into context and it's got a bit of a numerical basis. You can get a copy on Amazon or somewhere for 5 or $6. It's, it's cheap. It's a pretty old, old book. So things like that are interesting, looking at what happened in... Um, you know, dot com boom. Look, any book you can get on finance is is um, is good, and reading about what happened so you can you become more knowledgeable mm. and, and make you a better investor over mm. time. So you're obviously a specialist in small caps. Is there any particular industry that you're focusing on at the moment? 
where look where where we look we're more bottom up so we don't try and um, the one industry where we've got investment now where we did specifically target the industry was um, the real estate industry but we didn't target it because we went out and looked at real estate we targeted because one of the themes we look for in our portfolio which is good for small caps is disruption and it's a trendy sort of word but it's always been there so you had all the isps were disrupting telstra because telstra was doing you know dial-up internet and, and you know and these guys were then able to buy sort of wholesale of telstra and, and be smaller um operate at lower costs and telstra you know getting back to economics you know, the area under the curve for telstra to drop their price just a little bit meant they would lose so much money that they just didn't do it. So all these little players were, were sort of like feeding off the carcass of Telstra and they developed into big businesses. So, you know, the TPG. And, so, and that was really disruption in that space. And so we had a look, you know, what's left to disrupt now. And so FinTech is a big yeah. area where we've done well out of. But I think the next one for us, one industry I see that hasn't been, um, and every time I say this, we get emails on our website from disgruntled real estate agents, but... You know, real estate hasn't really been disrupted. So REA and SEEK disrupted classified advertising, but, you know, the real estate is still charging 2% to sell your house or open the door and show you where the living yeah. room is. So I think that will get disrupted. And you're seeing it now. There's, um, there's Buy My Place, which yeah. is an interesting small business. We don't have a shareholding in it, but we're watching it. Uh, there's Purple Bricks, which is advertised on on. Uh, TV and they've got now fixed they'll sell your house for a fixed price it's about $5,000 and then there's we have a business that we've got investment in which is unlisted called Local Agent Finder but it's all about stockbroking used to charge you know 2% commission rates and now I can trade as an institutional guy for 7 or 8 basis points Um, so massive price cuts there and so that's been disrupted through things like Comsec and and E-Trade lowered price so now that filters through the rest of the market and real estate you know the price has dropped on Buy My Place and Purple Bricks, and I see that that will shift and give a bit more price competition to the other guys. So it's a matter of picking who will do well. So we have a comparison website we're, in, we're investing because I think it will take a very long time for property to get disrupted. Okay. Um, travel got disrupted with things like Webjet, mm-hmm. and we sold out of that too early. You know, we were in there very early um, in the piece, and I think we sold it at about four dollars. And you know, it's kept going up since then because I thought everyone's using Webjet; it's over now. But the vast bulk of people are only just, you know, your, your mass your mass population is only just getting into that. So I got that wrong. We got out too early, but we still made a profit. And you don't go broke making a profit, but yeah. you know, went up a lot more. Yeah. But you know, it was that that dynamic of people, you know, shifting from going to the travel agent or calling the travel agent to doing it themselves online. Mm. So I think that industries that do have high barriers to entry um, are the things that are... Look, there's no barrier to entry to becoming a real estate agent. It's a two-day course to come. But to build a brand yeah. in that industry is hard. Um, so on the dis- disruption, you know, finance has been... Um, disrupted and there are big barriers to entry but the barrier is capital mm. and so capital if you've got the context you know I mean if I set up a business that wanted to provide some sort of um, so we, we've got investment in, in Zip Money and Afterpay has been a very successful company that, that um, is similar to Zip Money mm. it's different but similar but they've disrupted because they've got they're bringing technology in mm. and then they can raise capital mm. at the same time so the barrier is capital but yeah. I like the idea of Afterpay that's an important point about if you don't, if, if you live beyond your means and you constantly have a credit card and you're buying stuff on with Afterpay or Zip Money or whatever, 
it'll be hard to achieve those financial yeah. goals. Yeah. Yeah. And something that's been trending and I'd like to know your thoughts has been medical marijuana industry. Is yeah. that something that you're keeping an eye on or you think it's a buyer beware or what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> <laughs> it's an agricultural stock and throw into the mix that it's an agricultural stock that's got highly regulated, um, you know, licensing issues. That's my view on it. You know, yeah. I think I can go buy an almond crop yeah. and it's unregulated, yeah. but it's subject to, you know, all of the same factors that most agricultural stocks uh, I mean, I'm sure some of the businesses will do well in that sector, but uh, it's just a crop at mm. the end of the day, and I think it's got a very small end market. Right. A video that you recently did on your website was about volatility, mm-hmm. and something that I hear a lot of my mates talk about, um, people starting to get into it, and they read it in the media, is how do, how do you capitalise on a volatile market? You know, should we buy the index or jump in on a listed investment company that's following trends, that sort of stuff? What are some ways that you think beginners could capitalize on a volatile market? Or is the market at the moment a buyer beware as well in the sense that... No, I think I love volatility. That's probably what we said in the video. You know, volatility is really good if you know what you're buying. So for us, we've I'd probably have at any point in time... We only own about 40 positions in the portfolio. I've probably got 10 orders on now. A bit below market. I'm very patient. Sometimes I don't always get my stock. But mm-hmm. because um, small micro caps are, are pretty illiquid, you know, there can be a, a 5% spread between the, you know, the bid and the offer price. So I'm happy to sit back. I'm happy to be patient. I'm happy to get my stock. If you read that stuff on Warren Buffett, in some of their investments, it took them two or three years to get their, their um, investment. So if I'm patient, I get stuff at the right price. And all the analogy is, if everyone thinks the world's going to end and they sell off you know, a heap of stocks, it's like buying your $20,000 Commodore for $18,000. And if you keep picking up $18,000 Commodores you know, and they're worth 20 yeah. and you think that they're worth 40 mm-hmm. you just get that little bit extra incremental return. And then I look at our you know, um, shares in our listed investment company, I was surprised... Our largest individual shareholder, other than myself, was um, he told me what his average price was, and I was surprised. So he's just sitting there in the market, and when he thinks we get sold off because either someone's changed in their portfolio or they found something better to buy, he just sits there and picks them up cheap. Wow. Basically, he capitalizes on the stuff we're capitalizing on, um, the volatility as well, if you know the business, if you're comfortable with the business. And I, I we're doing work, I'm excited now because. You have seen all this volatility and you've got like Oz Forex has been sold off. You've had Ardent Leisure has been sold off. Um, Adairs has been sold off. Godfrey's has been sold off. RCG Group's been sold off. You know, uh, Retail well, Food Group's Meyer done. There's Myers been sold off. There's carnage out there. Yeah. I like that. It's like, whoo, everything's half price, you know. And I've got to work out what what we want to get out of all this half price sale. <laughs> and we're not rushing into any but some things we bought straight away. But, you, but surely, in some instances, that's because a lot of uh, some of those businesses are crappy businesses. Yeah, but when you find the one that's not crappy, that's the one to buy, and it's been might have been you know the baby being thrown out with the bathwater. There's yeah, nothing right. wrong with the business. So, do you think the the market at the moment is uh, teetering on the edge, or is it overvalued, or in a broader scale, and then also in a small caps? You know I have I mean? no idea whether the market's overvalued because the market, when people talk about the market, they talk about the index and the index level and the mm. index level is is like 90 percent top 100 yeah, and out of the top 100 it's something like 50 percent banks yeah. 
I don't know anything about the banks. I look at a lot of businesses and I don't think that I like, I don't like the price they're trading at. Mm. So we, we run on we run a watch list of about 200 resource companies and maybe about, I don't know, about, but maybe four or 500 industrial businesses so that we can keep an eye on all them. And if anything happens with the price, every week we review it. Um, and it spits out things, we put a price in what we think that business is worth for what we know, we're constantly updating it. Uh, we've got a couple of young analysts that do that. And, you know, that helps us keep track of this this big list of companies. So I don't worry so much about the markets on an individual stock basis. What's that business worth? I'm, I'm getting it cheap. Mm. And we go and see a lot of companies and sometimes we get things wrong or the business is better than what we thought or it's worse than what we thought and we change the price. Because mm. there is a price for every business and I'm ignoring the stuff that are not real businesses like the one page. That was yeah. not a real business. Yeah. So um, real businesses that make real cash flow where people turn up every day and... Um, you know, there's cash coming in at the end of the day, mm-hmm. there's always a price for those businesses. Mm-hmm. And the lower quality businesses, so if you look at the quarter type factors that don't have barriers to entry, things like that, the better the business is, the higher the multiple you want to pay. The, the, the more commoditized the business is, the less you want to pay. So yeah, if so you just remember those prices. Like Amazon's trading at 177 at the moment. Or something. Yeah, it's, look, it's a good business. It's done well. Yeah. It's been amazing. I feel... I was on the financial review and Bezos was standing next to me, so I thought, wow. okay, I've just got to move, if I move one space over to the right in the financial review, and it was a separate article. But <laughs> no, but he's been incredibly entrepreneurial. Yeah, and yeah. Um, yeah. We, we talk in some of our videos about not investing with people who have had a bad track record. Yeah. It takes you a long time to build that up. I've been doing this you know, a long time now, so I remember the failures that people have had. But you can look yourself about where people have been before and what happened with that business. It's, it's hard to gauge unless you've been there. It's an experience thing. But the other thing is we really, I've got a huge amount of time for, and some of our best investments investments have been with owner-operators. Yeah. And so it's someone that knows that they may not take a huge salary mm. out of the business because they get their, their wealth grows through the business doing well and the mm. share price appreciating. And they'll make a decision for uh, that they think will be best for the business over the next three, four, five, ten years. Whereas quite often lower quality professional managers will make a decision that's right for them to get the maximum amount of their short and long-term incentive bonus. Bonuses, yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's been studies done on that. Mm. And you can see there's been... Um, yeah, I saw a hedge fund guy about the other day and he said... He mentioned a couple of companies that those, all those directors and CEOs should be put in prison. Yeah, wow. He felt very strongly wow. about it. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, Amazon is making a profit, but proportionately to its revenue, it's very small. And when we're talking small caps, something that I like to look at as well is obviously if it's generating some, some revenue, it's not pre-research, that's micro caps. Mm-hmm. What's your opinion on, you, you talk about cash, but are you talking revenue or are you talking profit or what's the interplay between the two? That look, when, when you look at, um, so if you go back to the dot-com boom, it's probably a bit before your time, but Just. Um, <laughs> it was amazing how many of those companies were able to build revenue very quickly with no profitability. So it's how sustainable the revenue is getting. So if it's not making a profit, in terms of a cash sense, you've got to look at what's happening. So you've got to look at the cash flow statement, what's happening to the profit. So you want to make sure when there are all these high growth, I don't like these tech type startups where you get a room full of people and they've got a, it's a great place to work. They've got a ping yeah. pong table, yeah. they've got a bar, yeah. a fridge here and you know, it's full of stuff. <laughs> um, 
But you want to make sure that, you know, if it's not making money that's growing revenue, that the revenue is sustainable, um, occurring, or that they're building something that it will get a lot bigger. I've, I've struggled historically with businesses that trade on very high PEs. I, you know, I mentioned REA before. Mm. I've struggled with that because I do just like buying businesses that make cash, that are growing. They've got someone there that's got a vision. If they're going to raise capital off shareholders, that they're going to make sure that that capital is incrementally more accretive um, and adds value to the business. It's, it's a big thing. Then from an economic standpoint, where do you see the broader economy and how is that helping or maybe disadvantaging small caps? Well, I have this fundamental view. If you look at the equity market over the last you know, 50, 80 years, it's, it's grown. And it's had periods, like decades, where it hasn't grown. So we try and buy a portfolio of businesses that we think will be bigger or generate cash flows. So when I look at the economy and where I think it's going, I more look at the businesses we've got. And then in the context that the market has grown, if you, the economy's growing, you know, there's GDP growth rate, and so there's an inflation rate. So provided that the economy's growing, the world's growing, the market should over time get bigger. If you look at the constituents of the ASX 100 now, they're not the same companies that were the constituents you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago. It, you want to get into the businesses. The, the Nirvana situation is to get a small or micro cap company and ride it all the way up and let it become a big cap and it's in your portfolio and you've never sold it. You know, Maybe you make 100 times your money. Mm. It hasn't happened to me yet. But, you know, um, that's, so I just think in the, I'm not so much worried where the market's going short term. Yeah, right. As long as there's nothing that's going to impede growth in Australia and make us go backwards, you know, as long as we have that rate of growth, whether it's three, four, five percent, um, I just need to get companies. And I always ask myself, can this company um, grow faster than the rate of GDP over a long period of time? If you were to give a piece of advice to encourage someone to start investing, what would you say? I think it's. I think it's daunting. I think. If you want to be really, if you're very conservative, which you should be with your money, I think there's easy ways to get in. I think that the easiest way just to get used to the process is to buy. If you take a long-term view and you're buying something that's sensible, that if you want the lowest risk approach, because the market over time does go up and in the short term you might lose some money, buy an ETF of the, of the index. It might go down, might go down three, six months, but I'm pretty confident you know, over the next three, four, five years, as the economy grows, the stock market will grow mm. and, and you won't lose money on that. So mm. that's the basis. Then you've got familiar with the process of buying and selling how it works and mm. using whatever software you use. And I think, you know, Comsec and E-Trade are great platforms. And then I think after that, start to, if you want to do it in a low-risk way, look at some of the LICs out there, some great people managing um, LICs, not because that's what we manage, but because they're listed. And I think the ASX is a great platform. Mm. The ASX is such a great platform. You buy it, so you buy our LIC, and you go to the ASX announcements, and you can see what our NTA is every month. Yeah. There's commentary on what we're doing. There's annual reports there. You can look at the balance sheet yeah. of the business. You can see, you know, there's no gearing things in it, so you can start to get familiar that way. But then there's the common sense thing. It's like buying, you know, it's like the buying the car, and that's why I make that analogy. You're buying a business, so do you like the business? You buy it. I'm happy that you've said that because in our previous episodes, we actually talked about ways in which you can find some companies to invest in if you had no idea. And one of them was just to 
look around your day to day. If you work in a shoe shop, for example, then look at the brands that are selling the most, and then yep. have a look at those sort of companies. So, yeah, so that's great. So if you work in a shoe shop and you were there now, you would know that right now this year that apparently Adidas has it all over Nike. No one's buying Nike. Really. And so, and little things. This and this is a good example. So we talked to. Um, I saw the share price of um, RCG, which owns Athletes Foot and okay. owns DC High. Okay. So I, it went from dollar forty. You know, I'm, I like cheap stuff, so I went from dollar forty to a dollar. I got straight in the taxi, and I went out. You know, I rang them up, and went out and saw them, and I spoke to the guys, and I got a bit of a feeling that it was going to be a bit soft, so we didn't um, buy any shares. And then they've had a subsequent profit downgrade and that business is now it's gone from dollar forty down to a dollar and then it went straight down to it's about sixty eight cents now. So it's even cheaper. Wow. But on the weekend, and this is another thing you can do, I've got a separate email address and for the retail guys or anyone, I go if we're looking at a business, I go to the website. If they've got a newsletter, I subscribe to their newsletter. Okay. So I don't go to that email a lot because it gets spammed yeah. heaps by all these people. But Rebel had a sale on Saturday they put out 20%, one day only, 20% off everything in the store at Rebel last Saturday. So the two good things, you subscribe, you can get everything cheap when, they, yeah. when there's this one. So secondly, it's a bit of a lead indicator that hey, these guys are really, it must be a bit Struggling. weaker than what they thought. Yeah. Um, is it going to affect the result? So it's good to have all these subscriptions to, to different things. So there's little bits and pieces that you can always do to, to start to check. Yeah. Now, there's some good uh, actionable things that um, I think are of value. And also, even subscribing to your weekly videos, I think, is a great opportunity to get access to people like you free, like the amount of free information that's out there is fantastic. I just wanted to quickly go back and say for our listeners that uh, LIC is a listed investment company and an ETF is an exchange-traded fund. And that Glennon Capital is um, a listed investment company specialising in small caps, which we've discussed today, and they are open to retail investors like myself. But I think uh, it's been great, Michael. Thanks for your time. Um, really appreciated you coming on the show. Um, you've had some great pieces of advice, and so really appreciate it. Thank you. Equity mates and the people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. This is general advice only. Please speak to a financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your individual situation. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.